It is Friday, December 2nd, and we are calling this episode the Pipes, Poles, and Perps edition. My name is Keith Geryan, and I'll be serving as guest host the, uh, this week for this episode. Uh, those of you hoping to hear the uh, affable Australian accent of Emma Greeny uh, will be a little disappointed. Uh, you're stuck with me this week because Emma has been working a lot of overtime and is due for a well-deserved break. But uh, I think your disappointment will be uh, somewhat mitigated when I introduce the following three people we've assembled for this episode. <laughs> so just uh, off to my right, uh, we have legislature columnist Graham Thompson. Good morning. Graham, it's been a while. Welcome back. No, it's good to be back. But it's, it's also a very bittersweet day because of our next guest. Yes, yes. Right in the middle here, uh, business columnist Gary Lamphere. Good morning, everyone. Yes, it is. Uh, Gary is uh, heading into his final week of employment with the Edmonton Journal, so we are sad to see him go. However, on the bright side, uh, since you are leaving, you can pretty much say anything you want today. <laughs> yes. You know, you just kind of My dream loose. has come true. I know, maybe a little profanity, you know, uh. whatever you want to say. Yeah, the rest of us still want our jobs, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that voice you just heard there, uh, City columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Keith. All right. Well, thanks for all, all of you for joining me. Uh, it was quite a week in Alberta politics, a pivotal week, some people would say. So there's this little announcement about pipelines in Ottawa you may have heard of. Uh, what? There's yeah, news on pipelines? I know. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Uh, so for those of you who have been living uh, under a rock, uh, this is the short version. On Tuesday, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took the podium in Ottawa and said his government has approved two pipeline projects, the uh, Line 3 uh, Enbridge project, uh, as well as Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain uh, expansion. So those two are approved. Northern Gateway, also an Enbridge project, uh, not approved. Uh, probably not a surprise there. Uh, so everyone wearing orange at the Alberta legislature does a little dance. But hold on, Rachel Notley has to take uh, a little penalty. Her carbon tax has to go up to $50 per tonne up from $30 per ton. So that's that's kind of the sacrifice there. So that's the basics. There's a lot of angles to this, but before we get into the politics of it, I want to get into the economics of it a bit, and that's why we have Gary here. So Gary, can you kind of take us through what does this announcement mean to Alberta, our economy, our job market, our price of oil? Uh, what, what is it going to mean for us? Well, I, I think uh, anyone living in Alberta should have audibly heard a... Uh, a, a exclamation if not exhalation this week uh, on the pipeline front I mean uh, people in the industry and beyond the industry have been waiting for good news on the pipeline front for years now it's huge this is pivotal to our fundamental our core economy here in Alberta and uh, for the, one of the key drivers of growth in Canada um, as many people know we have been pipeline constrained for years right now we're shipping about 4 million barrels a day of uh, oil uh, out of Western Canada by pipeline. This will increase that once uh, these pipelines are in operation by about a million barrels a day. Wow. So what, what's 25%? That's pretty huge. Um, the constraints have forced uh, companies to use rail, which is a lot more expensive, cumbersome, and you know there's some risks, of course, associated yeah. with that. Significant risks. Pretty big ones, yeah. People die uh, when you ship crude by rail sometimes. And uh, so this is, uh, on many fronts, really good news. Uh, the key is differentials. You know, we've seen differentials as high as, I think, um, 25 and 30 bucks a barrel over the years. I think right now they're around 20. The hope is that this will squeeze them down by maybe five or six uh, bucks a barrel, something mm. like that. That's about the differential between the value we're getting for our crude currently and similar grades around the world. Okay. Uh, they're being sold into Asia. And more importantly, uh, perhaps even than that, is uh, access to Asia. We've never had it really in any meaningful way. 
uh, Trans Mountain will uh, significantly increase the access to Asian markets, uh, you know, tripling the volumes. Having said all that, we don't have any pipelines built today. Right. It, uh, it's going to take some time, and there are going to be um, some real confrontations on the West Coast that we're all anticipating over this. So uh, it's not a done deal, far from a done deal, but credit to the Notley government, credit to uh, Trudeau's government for uh, doing the right thing uh, for Canada and for jobs and for Alberta in particular. You had a yeah, actually a couple of interesting lines in your, your column this week on this topic um, when you were talking about uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. You said, uh, good on him. In my books, Tuesday was the day Trudeau ceased being the selfie king and earned the title of Prime Minister. So that that's quite a bold statement. Uh, and you'd also said, I had grown increasingly skeptical of Notley's, that Notley's plan was working. I was wrong, it did, and thank God. If humble pie is on the menu today, I'll gladly eat my share. And I, I meant every word of it. Uh, I, I mean, you make calls as a journalist. Uh, we all do every day of the week. Um, I felt it was my job over the last two years to really hold their feet to the fire on this pipeline issue. I felt that it was of huge importance uh, to Alberta for generations to come uh, and to Canada for generations to come. Uh, I'm concerned about middle-class jobs, which uh, Mr. Trudeau made uh, core to his election campaign. Uh, the jobs numbers out today, uh, that is Friday, not good. We're not creating middle-class jobs in Canada. We're creating a lot of part-time jobs, but not good middle-class jobs. These pipelines will create thousands of good middle-class jobs uh, for tradespeople that are out of work in Alberta right now. We've got unemployment in Calgary north of 10%. So. That's why I felt compelled to really argue the case for pipelines. I'm very pleased to see that uh, we are going to get some pipelines. Well, and I think you and a lot of people were skeptical of this argument that, you know, if Alberta improves its environmental record, this would earn the, the quote, social license for, for pipelines to get built. I remember you and I talking to the federal finance minister, Bill Morneau, some months ago. We asked him that question, whether there, that was a legitimate um, social license argument uh, that the, the Notley government was making. And he didn't really have a confident answer on that, as I recall. So, um, you know, I, I was skeptical as well as I, th I think a lot of Albertans. But Graham, you know, how big of a win is this for the Notley government? <laughs> you know, for it's this hard argument? to overstate it <laughs> <laughs> on all kinds of fronts. Okay, um, and Gary's right. Let's see what happens with the actual construction. But right now, politically, it's a huge win for Notley. And the day after the announcement in question period, uh, Notley still hadn't got back from Ottawa, so uh, Sarah Hoppin was taking the questions from the opposition. And sh they, they were gloating. The NDP was gloating because not only did they get the pipeline approved, two pipelines approved, mainly the Kinder Morgan is the big one in terms of the um, access to the Asian market, but also you had the Prime Minister um, praising Premier Notley's climate leadership. Lauding it. Oh, yes, yeah, several times. And so you had this... Uh, I guess, in a sense, evidence or proof that her plan is working. And so the, this is a huge win for the NDP. Now, of course, we'll see what actually happens with the construction. The Premier says that she hopes to get construction underway uh, within a year. It'll, it'll start within a year. So there's now a timeline on this to measure success or failure. But, of course, the flip side of the coin for the NDP being so um, happy is the opposition, just how bitter the opposition appeared. And it was, to me, unseemly. Like, they were overly angry, it seemed. There was, they say, yeah, it's good to get a pipeline built, you know, uh, at least a pipeline approved, but it doesn't mean it's going to get built. And then they talked about, um, this is both Brian Jean and Rona Ambrose, talked about um, how the government was, you know, had shut down Northern Gateway, and they picked a pipeline that would never get built. And it just, the anger from the opposition 
and I think it was um, our colleague in the Herald, um, Don Bray, called it carping. You know, when you're constantly carping, even when you actually get a pipeline approved and you're still angry, you don't look very good. And it seems that this is betraying this idea that the NDP must be defeated at all costs, even at the cost of our economy. And I think that did not play well for anybody who was opposing the NDP government on the pipelines. Now, I mean, that said, I I think that the Notley government does have to be a little bit careful. I was watching Question Period on television yesterday, and Rachel Notley, I don't know that I've ever seen her look so happy. I think she looked happier (laughs) than she did on election night, because on election night, I think she was tired and a little bit terrified about what was ahead. Yesterday in Question Period, she looked like the cat that swallowed the canary. She was practically skipping uh, as as she answered questions. She just looked very, very cock of the walk. And I think it's because not only did they get the pipeline approved, but this is the vindication for the very controversial program of carbon tax and uh, and uh, retirement of coal burning plants that she has been advocating for months. Because this is the quid pro quo. You get a pipeline, Alberta, because you played nice, because you put a meaningful price on carbon and because you moved aggressively to shut down coal-fired power. And this is what Notley had been saying all along. If we do these things, we will be rewarded by the pipeline ferries. And I think a lot of people thought, well, but what if we do all of these things and no good comes of it? So this is step one. This is the validation from Ottawa saying, okay, Alberta, you get the pat on the head because you were a good environmental citizen. The problem is, does that social license extend over the border into British Columbia? because that argument may have worked to give Trudeau the political cover he needed to greenlight these pipelines. Whether it will be enough to convince the people along the pipeline routes, certainly Elizabeth May doesn't seem very convinced. Gregor Robertson, the mayor of Vancouver, doesn't seem very convinced. Um, And I think for Notley, the big challenge is ahead for her to get out there and say, I'm a successful new Democrat, and I'm telling you that we have made the carbon trade-offs. I mean, the, the formula here, Jim Carr, the uh, federal minister of the environment, was in to meet with the editorial board yesterday, hammered again and again and again the governments, the federal governments and the province's argument that we need to take the value of the bitumen that's in the ground to use that to fund the transition to a greener economy. For a lot of people, they are not going to buy that argument, however pragmatic it might be. So where Notley has to really invest her political capital in the next 18 to 24 months is to get out there and sell this pipeline in a way that no conservative ever could. She heads off to uh, BC on Monday and Tuesday. Right, yeah. Now they're hoping to meet with uh, Christy Clark. That's not guaranteed. What will likely happen is uh, she'll spend Monday and Tuesday talking to the major media outlets to do what Paula just talked about, to, to sell uh, why the pipeline is necessary, both economically and for the environment. Uh, she might not uh, finally meet up with um, Christy Clark until next Thursday. There's a First Minister's Conference in Ottawa to discuss the federal climate plans and probably health care. So the uh, thing is, Notley has several fights on her plate in British Columbia. You've got the environmental, and Paula mentioned, you know, you get people like Elizabeth May, people like that will be doing what they can. There's also the tricky issue of the NDP in British Columbia. There's an election coming up, an election in May. And the NDP here has been called on all the time, excuse me, been called on all the time to help out their NDP counterparts. You know, fundraise, go, go talk and raise the morale in Saskatchewan, in Ontario, Manitoba, you name it. 
And there's a lot of connections between the BC NDP and the Alberta NDP. For example, Brian Topp, who is uh, the chief of staff to Notley, uh, ran uh, the NDP election campaign. John Heaney, top civil servant in the Notley government, was chief of staff to the leader of the NDP in British Columbia. A lot of people in this government in Alberta have connections, very tight connections with the NDP. And the question is, are they going to be helping out the NDP? I don't think they will. I think they're going to have to stand back from the BC election as an observer and, in a sense, let the Liberals win under right. Christy Clark because the NDP in, in BC, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, is against the pipeline. Yeah, very against <laughs> it, yes. Um, so the NDP in British Columbia is anti-pipeline. The Liberals are pro-pipeline with the five conditions in British Columbia. So the NDP here wants to have a more friendly government regarding pipelines in British Columbia, and that's the Liberals, it's not the NDP. So it's going to be interesting tap dance for the Premier. Yeah, because it, it puts her on the outs with the federal NDP, too. I mean, the federal NDP are also in the middle of their complicated leadership uh, situation. Uh, here's Rachel Notley, the most successful NDP politician in Canada, on the outs both with the NDP right next door in British Columbia and with the federal party where this leap manifesto mindset is is very much I think pushing towards whoever will be the next leader of the federal NDP yeah. but you know to, to circle back to where, where Graham started it has left both Brian Jean and and Jason Kenney somewhat flat-footed because I mean <laughs> what do you what do you say well you only gave us two out of three pipelines and we also wanted Northern Gateway even though it was the Harper government that messed up the consultations on Northern Gateway and 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 put a stake through the heart of that project. Well, one of the other arguments I'm hearing from the opposition is, you know, Notley doesn't deserve credit for this, that it was all of the groundwork was laid by previous governments, that that's what they're saying. And that uh, really what matters is it's the federal party in power in Ottawa that has decided this. Uh, you know, if it was the Stephen Harper still in power, these would have been approved long ago. Um, I do think it's worth noting, though, that we, and, uh, and not to diminish the importance of Alberta's climate change plan, and uh, Trudeau's endorsement of it. That was necessary, obviously, to get these pipelines approved. No question about it. But we live in a world, uh, I know we're all focused on domestic politics. South of the border, they have their own domestic politics going on, as we know some guy named Trump just got elected. I heard. Yeah. And it's all systems go on the energy file in the U.S. That is our number one customer. 99% of Canada's or 98% of Canada's oil exports go to the U.S. They're not going to need quite as much oil from us uh, going forward, um, I suspect. So access to Tidewater, access to Asian markets becomes ever more important. So I, I don't think we'll ever know precisely what the list of factors were that led Trudeau to make that announcement on two day, uh, Tuesday, precisely what, you know, which weighting was given to jobs, which weighting was given to Asian markets, which weighting was given to Alberta's climate change plan. And the calculation on the number of seats that they may lose in BC as a result of this, uh, but I do think there is there was some weighting given to the importance of gaining access to Asian markets given the new reality south right. of the border. Yep. So. And let's not forget that this pipeline creates not only short-term construction jobs, but down pipe in Vancouver in Burnaby, there will be you know, ongoing employment from the terminus of this thing. I mean, presumably there are some people in Vancouver who are not just making money on a real estate bubble, 
who might value those jobs when they get them. So it will be interesting to see in British Columbia, we're hearing now certainly from environmental advocates and from indigenous leaders who are being very articulate and very passionate on this subject, there may be a, you know, a fair number of British Columbians who don't actually hate this pipeline and, and the potential that it offers. But it is not gonna be easy to convince people who really believe that the future of the planet uh, will be severely uh, you know, affected if these pipelines open up, uh, you know, there are people who do not want any pipelines anymore, ever. Or any expansion of the oil sands whatsoever. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. there, there is no compromise that will make them happy, just as there's no compromise that will seemingly make uh, Ronna Ambrose, Jason Kenney, and Brian Jean happy. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned British Columbia. Keep in mind, reacting as if the entire province is against this. A lot of people in British Columbia and Paula's right are in favor of the pipeline. In fact, there was a poll, I think, done nationally talking about if it's done responsibly on the environment, a majority of Canadians are in favor of more pipelines. The idea he's doing it responsibly, which is why I think Notley's climate change or climate leadership plan actually makes it uh, the pill easier to swallow for a lot right. of people in the middle of the, this argument. Mm -hmm. um, and the people in British Columbia who are dead set against the pipelines, the problem is, of course, this has been a PR disaster for the, um, the Alberta government. As we know, the biggest source of human emissions is burning coal worldwide. It's not the oil sands, it's burning coal. Yeah. And Alberta, of course, is phasing out coal um, as a way to, to reduce its emissions. The cheapest way of reducing emissions and the most effective way is phasing out coal. And it's a, it's a balancing act. You reduce the, the coal emissions, and you get then more leeway, in a sense, to do more emissions from the oil sands that aren't nearly as bad as coal. Right. But going back to British Columbia and the politics there, I think that if they get um, Christy Clark on side, and she seems to be sort of more of a, I wouldn't call her neutral. She's um, a little skittish about it, though. Yes, because <laughs> uh, politics, right? Because, you know, she wants to win as many seats as she possibly can. But, of course, she agreed to that L big LNG project that got approval from uh, yep. Ottawa by you know, a carbon tax, increasing the carbon tax, and putting a cap on the emissions from that particular uh, project. So I think that the five conditions can be met, and it seems Ottawa is moving towards those conditions and meeting them, those, those including, you know, um, this is a world-class spill cleanup, both in the land and the water, uh, talking to Aboriginal people. And the big one big one is that fair share uh, or of, right. of the economic boost from the pipeline or pipelines. That one I haven't seen getting resolved, but it seemed that Christy Clark is open, a lot more open than she has been in the last few years to proving these. And she's, she has been making noise in the last day about Site C, again, tying Site C into Alberta, Alberta's um, uh, you know, transition away from coal and, and buying, you know, Alberta buying uh, BC Hydro. And the second point she's actually raised, which I've never heard before, is getting a piece of the uh, profits from the pipeline. Mm, okay. Sounds very Trumpian. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yes. I don't know where that goes. <laughs> and I should point out, I just said, you know, get, a, get approval from uh, British Columbia. You don't technically need approval from anybody but the federal cabinet. But of course, in a practical level, the provinces and even cities and towns along the way can make life difficult for the in any construction of a pipeline. But you right. know, it, it's it's going to be that responsibility end of thing. I mean, certainly when Jim Carr was meeting with us yesterday, uh, he hammered again and again uh, the the extended moratorium on tanker traffic al along the north coast of British Columbia, uh, promising billions for state of the art uh, uh, environmental cleanup and and monitoring. 
But there's also the pipeline itself. And I think, you know, people who remember last summer when Husky's pipeline to through Saskatchewan broke and polluted watersheds and Husky's grotesque PR mishandling of that file. Uh, I mean, people want to know that if there are spills, that they will be dealt with professionally and that, that uh, First Nations and municipalities will not be left without clean sources of water and will not be left with giant bills for the cleanup. And if we can't come up with a way to clean up our messes, then nobody's going to want pipelines. Well, and I do wonder if there is another major pipeline incident at some point in the next couple of years, if that's going to turn this around again in some way. But uh, I won't ask you, you know, what are the chances of this actually getting built? Because I, I don't think we know at this point. But um, I, I, I do want to look forward to kind of 2019, the next provincial election. How much? Uh, <laughs> Hold on. So we can't predict no, no, but I do we want to predict <laughs> the election. Let's predict the election. How much of a boost is this going to give Notley and the NDP going into that? Election? It depends. On if, it's, if it's under construction next year, that's huge. So she has said to us this week, we asked her, how soon do you want or expect the pipeline to begin construction? She said within the year. So a year from now, if construction's underway, then that really helps her. Because if, if there's no construction at all, before the, the 2019 election. That's a huge problem. Then it just means what, what we saw this week is just uh, full of hot air. There's no real substance behind that. If there's some concrete movement on that pipeline and is under construction heading into 2019, that's a big, huge boost for the NDP. And it depends what the price of oil is, Well, too. there is that. I mean, you know, the price of oil went up this week. Uh, OPEC made, you know, made noises about cutting production levels and that's more money for Joe CC in the budget you know uh, if they can bring down the deficits if they can look like uh, like their economic plan is paying off on the other hand if people are infuriated by what the carbon tax means at the pump if they don't feel that they're getting you know that that, that we mustn't say green shift because it has bad karma but if they don't feel that the green shift in, in Notley's budget has put more money into the pockets of families. Uh, you know, she's playing the long game and there are a lot of pieces that still need to fall into place she can make She can make the argument, though, in 2019, if you elect the Wild Rose or a new United Whatever they Conservative are, Party then, yes. um, and they shut down the carbon tax, is, how is that going to affect the pipeline? Uh, she may she may very well raise that argument. So well, the thing is, that's the other uh, one of the other wild cards in predicting the election in 2019, we don't yet know who the opposition is going to be to the right, government right. because of Jason Kenney and his plans to take over the PC party, unite with the Wild Rose into a brand new political party. So we don't know um, so many different things moving into the 2019 election. Well, and there, there was a couple of interesting polls that came out this week. Uh, you may remember back in October, there was a poll that showed actually the PCs uh, well out in front um, with the NDP trailing quite badly. The new polls seem to show that the Wild Rose and the NDP are very much neck and neck, the Wild Rose having a slight edge, and the PCs uh, are significantly back now. Uh, so, I, I, And those polls apparently were taken before this pipeline announcement uh, took place. So... We'll see, uh, but it does seem to show that the NDP is a uh, legitimate force despite all the controversy they've, they've had uh, heading into 2019. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, the Keystone Cops nature of this conservative leadership race, I don't think is helping them. I mean, initially, I think in those polls from earlier in the fall, there was a you know, Jason Kenney bounce. Um, the last couple of weeks of Tory infighting uh, have, I think, taken some of the shine off of that. Um, what's interesting is 
that you know the last poll I looked at had the three parties almost neck and neck and neck. So you can look at that and say, oh well, see if the Tories and the Wildrose merge, then they'll then they'll be you know way ahead. I'm not quite sure that that's how the math will shake out, but you know uh, remains to be seen. Uh, you know the, the what would we call this pipes. Pipes, poles, and perps. Yes. You know that the perps part of this uh, <laughs> is that you know this this week um, the Wild Rose revealed somewhat belatedly um, their story that somebody had broken in to their campaign uh, to their party headquarters had left behind money but seemingly had tried to steal laptops and to hack into the server to get the the membership list for the party. And, and certainly Brian Jean, who's a lawyer, didn't come out and say that he thought Jason Kenney's people had broken into the Waldrose offices and stolen their stuff. Reading between the lines, that was, the, I think, the clear insinuation. Who else would want this information? Yeah, it was Apparently weird... reliable witnesses have said G. Gordon Liddy was seen running from the scene. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reference from the past. Wow. The plumbers. <laughs> Call the plumbers. <laughs> Yeah, well, Graham, you were there. Were you there when when uh, Brian Jean I, held I, that? I wasn't there for the break-in, No, <laughs> not the break-up. No, no, the the press conference yeah. that Brian Jean well, had about it. Well, the thing it. is, he's making. Even though the thing is, their news release. I'm sorry, their letter to supporters had those two issues in there. You know, the break-in, and then people are getting receiving uh, emails from other political parties or a political party that didn't ask for and wondering how the name got in the list. So these two issues in that letter being put together, it did seem to, you got the impression they were trying to link the two, that there were the break and all of a sudden people were getting emails from another political party. Now, Gina's saying, no, 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 no. That's, they're not trying to link it at all. Just, uh, they don't send out these letters very often and there's just a lot of issues to put into one newsletter. <laughs> right, okay. And so, of course, we're all rolling our eyes thinking, oh, come on. Um, because the thing is, I think that this people are even thinking or even raising the Kenny potential Kenny connection, even though he's calling it paranoia, because we have seen some issues raised by the Kenny people in the last few weeks. For example, his campaign was fined $5,000 right, right, yeah. for showing up, uh, having a hospitality suite in the same building as a, the polling station, you know, in a sense, for the delegate selection meeting. Um, and there's been complaints, of course, raised by Sandra Jansen, who's crossed the floor to the NDP, but she said she was harassed at the PC convention by Kenny supporters, and that's actually under investigation right now. Right. So there's been allegations uh, of dirty tricks against the Kenny campaign. Some people are, and against maybe tongue-in-cheek, are wondering if there's a connection with this break, and no one is saying there is overtly, but there is that sort of uh, connection at least in some people's minds. Well, what's right. interesting is that Kenny, Kenny's response to, to Don Braden Calgary was to say, why would I need to steal their laptops? I have a database of the 60,000 people who called me when I was a cabinet minister, to which one might reasonably say, seriously, you were, while in cabinet, compiling a list of contact information for a future polit provincial political bid? Did the people who called your office when you were an MP and a cabinet minister understand that you were going to retain their private information for your uh, political gain in a different political arena? Uh, you know, I don't know that that's a better answer than stealing laptops. In fact, you got <laughs> Thomas Lukasik, uh, former PCMLA, saying if that's true, it's actually illegal, he said, or unethical at the very least. Um, so you've got Kenny being accused of other things. And the thing is, though, leadership race, 
there's only four people in that race. Of course, they lost uh, two people a few weeks ago. Um, it's interesting to see what it, going back to your question about predicting the 2019 election. You know, will there be the PCs and the Wild Rose versus the NDP? It will be one sort of brand new political party right. headed by uh, Jason Kenney. I think that in some ways the NDP would prefer the latter because especially if they, if again, going back to the pipeline being constructed, the price of oil starts to recover, all of a sudden it becomes this moderate NDP successful party versus they'll be painting Kenny as, you know, too right wing on social conservative right. issues, on education and things like that. So I think that in a sense, the NDP would, wouldn't mind either scenario, but it all goes back, that is, one party under Kenny or two parties under two different leaders, um, as long as the pipeline gets built and the price of oil starts to recover. Right. I would only make one point in terms of predicting the outcome of an election that's three years off. I do believe the Edmonton Oilers began collecting number one draft picks in about 2009. <laughs> this is the year 2016. I think this is the first year they have been competitive since 2006. Right. So okay. there were a lot of predictions that we were going to be competitive before now. Yeah, I think I even saw a story this week that there are um, talks underway between the Alberta party and some elements of the, the PCs as well, some of the progressive elements to work together as well. Uh, so who knows where, where that leads as well. But yeah, you're Three right. years it, is a long time. It's a Alberta long, politics. It's, it's two and a half. It's coming quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the smile It'll on your face already thinking about it. Well, it's a lot of stuff <laughs> happening. I think next March we've got the PC leadership, you know, the, the convention. Yeah. Uh, May is going to be the the election in British Columbia. It's going to affect what's happening here as well in Alberta. So there's a lot of stuff happening. All right. Well, uh, let's go into our final segment. Uh, good stuff from the gallery where we recommend something to watch or listen or read that we think is interesting. Uh, let's see. Let's start with Paula. What have you got? All right. I'm picking something from farther away, uh, a piece from the, the London's Financial Times about the economic model that underpins Uber based on some interesting numbers that have come out about the degree to which Uber has been subsidizing. Uh, its its business model so that uh, uh, they're basically discounting fares that if, if you tried to live on the Uber fare model, it wouldn't work. So it's a, a really interesting piece as Edmonton and, and Calgary and other cities wrestle with the arrival of these kinds of ride-sharing services to see, you know, the, the argument in the piece is if, if the subsidies that the, the company is paying to itself uh, disappeared, that the whole model would disappear, and then hmm. where would you be? Hmm. Okay. Well, that does sound interesting. Uh, Graham, what about you? Gary, when's your last column? It would be uh, one week from uh, today. I'll be filing my last column. Yep. Then I would say a week from today. All right. Well, let's Gary hope he makes it a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> things I didn't realize quickly how many of my colleagues actually, I'm, I'm never, I'm rarely in the office. I'm actually at the, the press gallery office at the legislature, so I don't hear a lot of the the water cooler talk. And I didn't realize until this morning, like an hour ago, that Gary's leaving and yeah. there's seven people. I knew two or three I'd heard close to retirement, they were leaving, and then I heard this morning that there's other people leaving and I had no idea and I just got kicked to the head this morning. Well, thanks for the, yeah, the sentiments, for, Graham. No, because uh, Gary is, 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 is one, <laughs> we, we had different voices in the paper. The whole idea is that, um, and Gary's been I right. have never disagreed with you on anything. That's what are you true, talking yes. about? Well, you, you've, been, you've been right most times. Occasionally you've been wrong when you disagree with me. Uh, but no, but Gary um, has been very eloquent in 
putting forward, you know, arguments as well as reporting on things happening in the business community and the local business community in right. particular. I mean, and, and I and think that's so important. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we are losing our local business columnist, and and I think that's a loss for the whole community. Just as I think it's a loss that we're losing our local theater columnist and our local music columnist. Yeah. Um, it, you know, uh, it, it's a difficult time for the publishing industry. Everybody knows that newspapers are under stresses that are, uh, you know, unprecedented. But I am sorry that we are losing, losing Gary and well, Santos Coronas and Liz Nichols. You know, I'm. I, oh, it's been a privilege working with all you guys, and I um, and I really mean that. I mean, I, you know, for a long time, I've been in this business for pushing 39 years now since I started and um, uh, I like to joke that one of my first pieces was about a junior hockey game in Windsor where some kid named Gretzky was in town <laughs> and uh, I was very unimpressed with him. I thought the guy who really impressed me was a, a guy named Wes Jarvis who <laughs> nobody has ever heard of including <laughs> Wes's parents. <laughs> so I, I kind of kind of knew that, that I wasn't. That, w- uh, that was the end of Gary's career as a sports, <laughs> as a sports analyst. <laughs> pretty is much it, it. Is that your good stuff from the gallery, that piece <laughs> from long ago? <laughs> I did uh, stumble on a really interesting uh, piece uh, in the wake of Fidel's passing Oh yes. Uh, in Vanity Fair, and it's one of these sort of historic long-form pieces that people used to write, and it dates back to 1994, so it's like a time capsule interview with Fidel dating back to 1994, wow. and it's fascinating because it really kind of gives you a picture of this guy's personality, his pugnacity and mischievousness and all the elements of his personality that people have forgotten long ago because he's really just become sort of a historic figure in recent years that one never heard from. But it was a, it was a fascinating read hmm. and uh, a little bit outside the business box, I guess. But no, that's uh, okay. That's, that's, that sounds very interesting. Uh, my Good Stuff this week is a uh, YouTube upload. Uh, it's a... Uh, about an hour and a half. It's a conversation um, called the Theodore H. White Seminar on Press and Politics put on by, by the uh, Harvard Kennedy School. And it's a bunch of uh, journalists and journalism experts uh, talking about journalism in the age of Trump and how that campaign was covered. Uh, a lot has been said already about this, but I found this particular conversation quite interesting. Uh, one of the panelists in particular spoke about how the media got it wrong on Trump when he said all these bombastic, crazy, uh, untrue things that uh, the media took him literally and they assumed voters took him literally as well when in fact uh, this guy says uh, voters did not take him literally. It was just uh, talk around the dining room table that you might say. Yeah, I heard a great uh, analysis saying that um, the media took him literally but not seriously. Right. His supporters took him seriously but But not not literally. literally. Yeah, no, I I think that's exactly it. So... (laughs) 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 <laughs> anyway, that is uh, going to wrap it up for this episode of the Press Gallery. Uh, thanks to journal videographer Sean Butts, uh, who's been recording uh, a little excerpt and who he will put online uh, at the en- on the Edmonton Journal's website. Uh, thanks to uh, Graham and Paula and Gary for joining me here today as well. You can find this episode and an archive of our previous 160 epido- episodes on the website at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and via TuneIn Radio. Thanks again. We will see you next week in the Press Gallery.